Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today we are at episode 63, it is February 5th, my name is Tyler, and of course I'm with my co-hosts as always, Pratik and Nick. So starting with Nick today, how you doing, how's your week been, and what are you looking forward to on the show? Man, mixing it up. So we've got a great number of topics this week. I mean, as a podcast ourselves, undoubtedly we had to talk about what's going on with Joe Rogan and Spotify, but we'll get to that a little bit later in the episode. We're also going to start it off with uh, Biden wanting, promising that we're going to have an African-American woman to replace Justice Breyer as he retires. Um, But I'm super excited for the show. Had a great week. Looking forward to it. Pratik, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm ready for the show. I'm excited about this topics that we have. We have a lot more of a jam-packed agenda, so I'm ready to go. Great. And with that, who wants to be kicking off the story about the Supreme Court? I got the story. So the story starts like this. So Justice Stephen Breyer decided to step down from the Supreme Court at the end of the current term um, because he wants to make sure that they're able to find a new Democrat to replace him before Joe Biden is not no longer in office. The story about this was a little bit controversial because it seems like the Democratic Party was pushing for Breyer to step down because they've had a lot of cases where they've had Supreme Court justices like Ginsburg pass away whenever the Democrats didn't hold office, which led to a lot more Republicans taking office in, you know, in the Supreme Court. So this has been a major um, issue that the, that the Democratic Party has really wanted to tackle, and they found Stephen Breyer as one of their scapegoats to do it. So Stephen Breyer is going to be stepping down from the Supreme Court. We don't know if it's by his will or whether or not that he decided to do it. That's all part of the controversy. But as soon as they um, he came on saying that he's going to step down, Joe, President Joe Biden goes on air. He discusses how he's saddened by Breyer stepping down. He also remembers how he helped put him there in 1981. I mean, Biden's been there for ages. And Biden said that he will put a black woman on the Supreme Court. And there's a lot of controversy around this because he's only looking at African-American women. The way he said it seemed a little bit on the anti-AA side where I was talking to this with them two before our show. But in terms of the private sector, you it's illegal to diversify and it's also illegal to racially discriminate. So I can't say that I want to have an African-American woman for this position because if I was to do that, then it's discriminatory. I can't also try to not have an African-American that is a candidate for my position because if I say I don't want to have an African-American woman for this position, that's also racist. So in the private sector and a lot of part of the public sector, you're not allowed to determine what group of person you want to have regardless of how much you're trying to diversify your workplace and this is the only thing that hasn't really um you know moved along with the presidency where you've had sandra day o'connor under reagan you had um amy coney barrett under trump and you've had biden trying to find a black woman and all of those were similar because they've all said that they wanted to have a woman in the position and i mean it's great to have a woman but the thing is you want to find the most qualified person and trying to just go find a black woman seems kind of, you know, discriminatory to some extent. So this has been a major controversy. And they have seven different candidates that they're looking at. Katanji Brown-Jackson, Leonardo Kruger, J. Michelle Childs, Wilhima Mimi Wright, Eunice Lee, Candace Jackson, Akimui, and Sherilyn Ifill. And the thing about all these people is that they're all part of major lobbying groups from the Democratic Party. So like the NAACP and other organizations like that that have to do with some legal status or they're from the D.C. Circuit Court where majority of our Supreme Court justices are chosen from. That's kind of like the vetting ground. So this has been a major controversy. We want to see what's going to happen. Obviously, the Democrats have two idiots on their board called Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema. They might not get on board with trying to even get their own Supreme Court justice through. But as I said in the last episode, Democrats have all their crap together. And this is a thing that's going to happen is more than likely they will potentially be able to have an African-American woman Supreme Court justice to replace um, Justice Breyer. So, guys, what are your thoughts? So I'm just going to read out exactly what Biden said on the matter. He said, our process is going to be rigorous. I will select a nominee worthy of Justice Breyer's legacy of excellence and decency. While I've been studying candidates' backgrounds and writings, I've made no decisions except for one. 
The person I will nominate will be someone with extraordinary qualifications, character, experience, and integrity. And that person will be the first black woman ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court. So Biden essentially is saying this statement, no matter what candidates I see, I'm going to be selecting a black woman for this position. I will not be considering other people for this position, no matter their qualifications or whatnot, because the primary issue for me on the Supreme Court is there is not enough let's say, representation for this minority group of black women. And because of that, he feels it's right to be able to say, we're definitely going to be putting a black woman on this on this position. Uh, with the first thing you said, Pratik, the fact that he might have stepped down just because Democrats are pressuring him to step down, I'm not quite sure that. Maybe that's potentially the case, but he is 83 years old. I personally have no problem with the justice being 83 years old and retiring from the court. I think that's probably a healthy thing. Now, maybe that's not tradition. Maybe they should take it to the grave, their position to the grave. But in this case, I'm perfectly fine with that. Where I seem to have an issue in, it's not even the fact that he wants to select a black woman. That's perfectly fine. He's not even presenting to the public the image that he's selecting from any number of candidates, whoever may be the most qualified for the position. Right now, in my opinion, he's virtue signaling to his base. He's saying, progressive, look, I may have not done enough to invigorate you these past few years. And because of that, I, I understand you want to see some action taken. The Supreme Court has been such a hot topic over the past couple of years. It has been for a very long time, but especially over the past couple of years with Donald Trump being able to nominate three candidates. And because of that, we're going to take back some power. And to throw a bone to the progressives, I'm going to say, look, no matter what happens, we're going to be getting a black woman on the Supreme Court, and I'm going to be doing it. My administration, the Democrats, and because of that, my base should be invigorated, and we should be able to win in these midterms in the presidential election. And, well, maybe towards the Democrats, that's maybe a good decision to say, look, I'm going to throw, throw one of your own. You're getting exactly what you want from the Joe Biden presidency. You're getting what you were promised. In my opinion— I don't think it's healthy for us to say this one specific minority or female group or whatnot is going to get the only look at this position. I think if they were going to select a black female, it's at least better to present the image that they're looking at a number of candidates and it wasn't selected from a narrow selection of just one group. Um, personally. So what are your guys' thoughts on that? Do you think that's healthy for us to do? I know Pratik had mentioned, look, in the private sector, you can't discriminate. But in this position and for the Supreme Court, you are allowed to dis discriminate, apparently. Maybe that's not fair. So, Nick, I, I see you have something to say. Yeah. So, look, this is a political decision. And if we're looking at Biden's political legacy, he tried running for president in the past, lost terribly. Barack Obama said, look, I'll make this guy my VP. He comes into the office. And then you know, when he ran in his own presidential campaign, he was getting hammered at the start. It looked like he was going to lose the thing, even though he was a front runner. But then something happened. We go to South Carolina, we go to the fish fry, Jim Clyburn, and black women saved Biden's political ambitions, this runaround. Without South Carolina, he would have been totally toast in the dust and would have had no momentum in this election. And so, in a sense, I think that Biden owes black women this political favor, in a sense, because that's essentially his base. It's saying, this is how I got elected. I'm going to honor that. I'm going to put someone in place. And like you were saying, his statement, it, it does come across, and I guess it, it can rub you the wrong way, but as you were reading it out, just to play devil's advocate, not even, like as you were reading it out, the way I interpreted it was, oh, we're looking at this great candidate. It sounded like they had already landed on a candidate and they ended with, oh, and by the way, they're a black woman. So to me, it sounded like they already knew who it was. But I mean, I guess I do agree with you that. Well, just to clarify, they have, they have seven candidates, but they're all black women. So they're select, oh, still selecting a candidate, but it's only from a list of black women. Hmm. So that's why we know exactly what he's targeting. And, and that not, was the no list one else I is even being considered. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the list I read out in the beginning. And Sorry to cut you off. Right, but no, I, I mean, look. Everyone always throws up a list and then they see, oh, who's the press going to jump on? Who has an issue here? And they see how it runs out. Everyone has their top pick every time this stuff comes around. It's not like someone goes from the bottom of the list. Oh, my goodness. Wow, we're going to put them all the way at the front. I seriously doubt that they're looking at all seven of these candidates in the same way. I, I just really doubt that. I think they have the top one or two and that's what they're going to go with. And that's what they're going to do. But do, do you not think uh, they should at least signal that they're going to look at any number of candidates, try to find the best person for the job, not the best within this specific minority category? I don't think it's going to hurt him in the polls. So if anything, no, I no, think no, it'll you, help you him. No, no, but you personally, 
it, uh, all right so me whether personally, it helps them or not yeah me me personally look i being realistic about the political process and what's going on with the base if he does not do this it, like he keeps mentioning oh if i run again if he doesn't do this there's no way he's not winning in the future okay he's just gonna lose if he doesn't do something like this but at the same time, like personally, do I think that this is how the country should end up going, where every single time a position comes through, someone says, oh, look, Asian Americans have been historically underrepresented on this circuit court. Therefore, we will only nominate Asian American people to this to this chair. No, I don't think that's how it should be run. I think, again, it should be, even if you're leaning that way, even if that's what you think privately and personally and politically, I think it still should be, as you're communicating this stuff out to the American people, oh, we're looking at this long list of qualified candidates. Because, again, I guess this gets back to the fundamental you know, argument over um, affirmative action where, you know, on the one side, you're saying, oh, well, you, these people only got here because of their race, their sex, yeah. etc., and that rubs everyone the wrong way. So I think if you just have it flat out and say, look, we are selecting the most qualified, most capable person, and then, oh my goodness, it's a black woman. I think that's mm -hmm. a better story than to say, oh, we're going to only select the most qualified and capable black woman as opposed to everyone else. So I guess and that's, I agree with that's you exactly, that's That was exactly the point I wanted to make. Like you... You don't want this to have some sort of mark as, oh, he was only picking a black woman. Therefore, it wasn't special that you got the position. I think even if he was personally always going to pick this this black woman, like, you shouldn't have said that. I think that was poor messaging personally because I think you can have your cake and eat it too with you get the base if you are nominating them in the first place. But then that brings another issue that we haven't fully discussed yet. Pratik mentioned it. The, the Senate. So they need a... 50 they need 50 votes plus kamala harris's tiebreaker vote essentially to get this through and with the senate being so close republican and democrat wise it's going to be tough to do it's going to be tough to get that nomination and I, that's why again i feel like this um the messaging wasn't great in, in this situation i don't even know i don't know that it would be that close for example if you have something like someone like kirsten cinema i think her fear of being labeled a racist for voting no on any sort of black woman being appointed to this to this court it's just going to make it so that she has to vote for the candidate, no matter what. There's no way she doesn't. She's already been disavowed sort of by, um, it's not NARAL, but it's another women's group um, that sort of said they're dropping their support of her this past week. So, um, you know, people are starting to go away from her. And I think if she wants a political future, she's going to have to vote in line with what the party wants. Hmm. Pratik, any thoughts? Okay, so I have a, I have a few thoughts. So the first thing that I'm going to say is that, like, when we go back and look at just how this stuff planned out, I just think that, I mean, in terms of the whole Biden thing and about him saying a black woman, I just think that affirmative action laws should apply to the to the president. It applies everywhere else. I mean, Tyler mentioned that there was some contract law where contractors are not they don't they can drive racially diversify. But in the private sector, like you have to follow certain laws by the EEOC. So I can't Yeah, federal contract. Yeah, yeah. So I can't like just choose who I want to get. If I want to have more African American people in my like workplace or if I want to have more Hispanic people in my workplace. Even if I say that, I am technically um, you know, doing something against the EEOC. And the Equal Opportunity Commission has like has more cases on their hand dealing with companies that are trying to diversify their workplace more so than you know actual discrimination and most of the stuff that involves like um eeoc laws tends to deal with people engaging in age discrimination and people that are trying to diversify more so than actual blatant racism so that's been a thing that the eeoc and aa laws all, we all have to follow and i just find it stupid how like biden can get away with this well i mean and not just biden trump got away with it trying to get amy coney barrett and reagan got away with it with sandra day o'connor like i mean is there has to be some balances in place and i feel like you can't just say certain things just because you know like that's how it is. You can't like openly discriminate, and this is a case of open discrimination. Only so, privately discriminate. <laughs> no, no, but I'm saying that there's going to be private discrimination, and yeah, no, I, I think I, know. I think with this thing too, like we talk. Remember Clarence Thomas? Clarence Thomas was an African American justice, but people that don't like Clarence Thomas, there's a lot of people that don't openly like Clarence Thomas, and they don't like him because they think he's too far right. It's not like they don't like him because he's because he's black. And the way well, that they frame Hill. any of these, no, but the way that these people frame this stuff is like, oh, well, 
Like, you don't like this person, that means you're racist. The whole Obama thing, if you didn't like Obama, you're a racist. And now they're going to be like, if you don't like the Supreme Court justice, wait for it, you're racist. Because she's black, and you need to like black people, and black women are underrepresented. 93% of them voted for Biden, well, in the 2020 presidential election. Hence, like, you know, you can't, if you don't support the african-american justice you're automatically racist and that's gonna be a thing that happens and that's what i don't like about all this stuff now when you break it down into how this actual selection process goes i don't really care i mean like whoever they select like i just am against the wording of how this was all presented because i think that it's a double standard in the private sector and how it is for the president and most of the public sector too it's not like the uh, housing department or like the labor department can be like yo we need to have like this particular minority represented they're, they're discriminating they that, against though. somebody else they I do know. say that pretty they do like... say that but i mean i'll give me an example though like most of the time, I mean, in terms of my own situation, like everyone's situation is different. But I know that in my own hiring process, we're having a hard time hiring people. And most of the people that we've hired that are really good, we would have never thought they would be any good. So it all depends. And I think when it comes to this kind of stuff, you can't be open about it. If you are discriminating and trying to diversify and trying to find someone of a particular race, well, even education departments, like all the D Duke universities and all those colleges that have like tried to diversify their colleges, they have had lawsuits pinned against them and they have lost 99% of the time in the Supreme Court. So the thing is that you can do all this stuff, all this open discrimination, uh, closed discrimination happens all the time. Affirmative action is an actual thing. But, I mean, when it, when it gets tried in court and all this stuff, it always grows against the people that are trying to choose one race over another because they're trying to get more people of a race in, enrolled over someone with more qualifications. And I think the same thing should apply here, where the Supreme Court looks at a variety of different people, not just African-American women. But I really don't care. All I know is that the Democrats are going to have a challenge when it comes to them passing this thing because of Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema. And Democrats have everything together. They have an agenda. They know who, what, what groups they need to lobby to get their person through. They also have all their connections together. And they're even able to go call the filibuster racist. So they're able to do anything to get this person passed. So unless Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin jump on board, well, they're not going to be able to do it. And that's all that matters in the end of the day republicans even with all of our disparities and even if we had people like jeff flake that were so anti brett kavanaugh they still all ended up voting for it to get stuff done and we got three supreme court justices in trump's tenure with biden i want to see if he's able to even get one because of two individuals in his party they don't even have a whole team like we have a whole soccer team of republicans that are not like you know trying or not don't get on board to support basic stuff like, that's like 11 people on a starting soccer team. In the Democrats' case, they only got two. So I want to see what happens. That's my main focus. I don't really care about what the race or anything is of the person. As long as, like, I want to see how this pans out because I want to see Democrats go full on in trying to get this person through and them to call everybody racist that doesn't support her. <laughs> hey, uh, before Tyler jumps in here, I just want to say, now that I'm thinking about it, I mean, I walked us through the little fish fry thing with Clyburn in South Carolina, but I can actually distinctly remember when Biden was um, debating Bernie Sanders in their final debate during the primary, and they said, oh, what about the Supreme Court? You know, the courts are a big deal. Trump, you know, packed the courts with three justices. What are you going to do in response? And Biden said, Bernie said he would nominate a woman to the Supreme Court. Like you were saying, critique had been done in the past. Yeah. And Biden said, I will nominate a black woman. And they said, Bernie, are, are you going to go that far? And Bernie's like, well, no. Um, <laughs> like, I don't want to be that specific now. But I mean, look, the Biden campaign said that while he was running. So in a sense, like, is this not him yeah. just honoring a campaign promise that he's been telegraphing from the very beginning? And I agree with you, Nick. I don't think this will hurt him in the polls. Like, I mean, obviously, no, it's gonna dude, it's gonna help to him. Like, yeah, it's, it's gonna obviously help. everything I said. It's certainly gonna help him. Yeah. 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 Obvi only thing is though, if they can't get those two bozos on board, well, the whole thing is. Oh, gonna if shut it down. fails, oh my yeah. god! If yeah. this fails and they say, oh, the Democrats <laughs> could not elect the first black woman to the Supreme Court, oh my god, that's gonna be terrible for them. 
Oh, so maybe point. it's a big gamble for Biden because, like, if he doesn't get this through. But all with that said, I think the likelihood of he gets it through is pretty good. I think eventually I, they'd be able to pass it before the midterms. Democrats understanding they need to rally together somewhat to get people to vote for them. Especially with Kamala this, as the tiebreak. That would be historic in yeah. a way, too. Like, the first but imagine she doesn't black vote. woman vice president. Oh, my goodness. All right, that would be too good. Kamala's but like, imagine. it should have been me. I was the district attorney. Yes. <laughs> only thing I would say, though, is that the only thing Republicans have been good at I criticize Republicans all day long because they suck at everything that they do. But the one thing that they've been good at was whenever Obama was president, they had that whole Merrick Garland situation and they pulled it off. That's the one accomplishment I will say the Republicans and Mitch McConnell has had that was directly accomplishment of Mitch McConnell that has been shutting down the Supreme Court justices justice that the democrats were trying to get through before um you know the next election and at that time democrats didn't gamble because they thought hillary clinton had a 99 percent chance of winning that's exactly it that's why this is different because now it's it's not clear whether or not they're going to win but at that time like you were saying they just assumed hillary was going to wipe the floor with whoever was running against her which at at the time was trump so they're (laughs) like oh she's going to win it doesn't matter who cares if they're going to stall this we're going to get them in eventually yeah see how that played out so i don't think they're going to mess around (laughs) this time yeah we can yeah. move on to the it, next story if y'all yeah are, so are moving on to more uh, more i guess pop culture news we're gonna tie it to a political uh, bent though uh, joe Ro- the joe rogan controversy so for those of you who haven't heard joe rogan's recently been under fire as a lot of artists on spotify the platform that hired joe rogan to display his podcast are pulling out so you have neil young initiate the pullout originally and then fellow uh, artists followed suit because what they claimed was covid19 misinformation and misinformation in general so you have a lot of people targeting spotify the platform itself and joe rogan for the content he puts out he's done many podcasts with the uh, many different people, uh, tons of different views. Uh, specifically, the the ones that were under fire were the podcast with doctors who were dissenting against COVID nineteen vaccine and maybe giving a contrary opinion to what is popularly acknowledged, acknowledged by the CDC and the general scientific community. Um, so there's been a lot of controversy on this. And where we want to tie it into the political bent is this is it's somewhat a free speech issue. It's like, should there be given a platform to, let's say, Joe Rogan on a private platform like Spotify to put out these views, have conversations with people that do have dissenting opinions? So I know Pratik wanted to kick off the conversation. Okay, so first thing I want to start off by saying is this is what Joe Rogan said, um, responding to the backlash backlash that he received from Spotify artists. He said, "I'm not trying to promote misinformation. I'm not trying to be not trying to be controversial. I've never tried to do anything with this podcast other than just talk to people and have interesting conversation." Drogan said in a nine-minute video posted to Instagram on on Sunday. On Sunday, Spotify said it would add a content advisory to any podcast episode about COVID-19, and Rogan said he agrees with that move. So this, I mean, in my opinion, I agree with Tyler. Like, I don't think Tyler said this, but this is something that Tyler Corley believes, is that everyone should have the right to freedom of speech. From our net neutrality discussion last week, I think that this is one of those where I don't think that there's any reason that you should take this guy off. I do think that, I mean, Spotify does have the ability to decide what they want to do. They're a private company, so they have the right to decide whether they want to remove this guy or not. But I do find this to be very hypocritical. Democrats and a lot of these celebrities are usually the ones that are trying to hype up. Oh, we need freedom of speech. We need to uh, you know, allow people to have a voice. We need all these minority groups and all these different identity groups and different sexualities to have a voice and have a say in things. Well, in this situation, I mean, Joe Rogan hasn't really done anything wrong. Joe Rogan has just spoken with people that if he agreed with them or didn't disagree with them or whatever, he had his own opinions. We have our own opinions on this podcast. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean we agree with the core values of either party or what we agree with what the status quo opinions are, but we have our opinions. And I think that in the end of the day, everyone should be allowed to have their opinion. And when you are Joe Rogan and you have like 11 million followers and you're getting paid like millions of dollars to to be on Spotify. Well, in the end of the day, I think that removing Joe Rogan isn't going to hurt Spotify because Spotify is still going to be like a million billion dollar company. But it's just one of those things is by principle, I don't think you should remove somebody just because other people are pissed off about what he says. Because in the end of the day, Neil Young doesn't have to listen to Joe Rogan. He can go listen to somebody else. 
I mean, it's not like you are going to agree with everybody that you listen to. I don't agree with half the liberal organizations and podcasts that I listen to. Doesn't mean I don't have to listen to them. And doesn't mean that I have to listen to them. I don't even agree with Ben Shapiro all the time. And I'm a big fan of Ben Shapiro. But I disagree with him 60% of the time. So I think that it depends. Like, I think that everyone should have the right to say something. And if you don't want to listen to somebody, then no one's forcing you to listen to them. And it's the same as, like, you can turn off the podcast. You can turn off Spotify. And you can listen to something else. I think that everyone should have an equal playing field and we shouldn't bar people just because you don't agree with their point of view. Yeah, I I mean, I I have a few points to make. One, the first being, you're right. If you don't, no one's being forced to listen to this. But it's the fact that so many other people are listening to it, getting information. And to some degree, these people must believe, like Neil Young, that people are being brainwashed by these people giving a platform, convincing people of ideas that maybe aren't helpful to their opinion of what public health should be. Um, But yeah, they could turn off the they could turn off the podcast or not listen to it. The, The reason I think this all came about was because. Joe Rogan has like 11 million daily listeners or something. CNN only is like one to two million a day. Joe Rogan has five times the amount of views that traditional news networks get. And because of that, he's, some, he's a major force against these traditional mainstream media outlets. And because of that, they're, they're running scared. And uh, another point I have to make is like he's not a news platform. It's not a news channel. It's not a news podcast. He's there to discuss whatever he's there to discuss. He'll talk to a comedian, an MMA fighter, a scientist, uh, um, an actor. He just, t- he just talks to people. And, and it, this is very reminiscent for me of Howard Stern. Not to the same degree, and maybe not on the same topics, but people blasted Howard Stern early on for being very crass and talking about issues and things that people shouldn't talk about. These are basically the New Age Christian conservatives. They're no longer Christian, but they hold the same fundamental authoritarian views of, you shouldn't be able to listen to this view because I don't agree that it should be out in the public zeitgeist. It shouldn't be within the ovarian window. We shouldn't have this discussion. It shouldn't be allowed at all. The Overton window, Tyler, not the ovarian window. (laughs) 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 i'm doing my best um but yeah overall like like pratik was saying if spotify wants to kick joe rogan off look he's probably going to make that 100 million dollars because of the contract so good for him um but otherwise should they remove him just because some artists are calling for him to be taken off um sometimes the squeaky wheel gets the oil but i think it's a minority of people that would want to remove him and honestly if someone wants to have a conversation online i think they should be allowed to Nick, Tyler, I, I like the parallel that you drew with the shock jocks and how they came up on radio and sort of, you know, pioneered this new version of programming that was online where, you know, prior to that, there was this, you know, big conservatism. There was a lot of censoring of what was going on in Hollywood and in radio and in media across America. There was a ton of it. It was very conservative. And then you start getting away from this conservative Christian idea. And now the censoring is on the other side. It's like the... The Dems, the, those filthy liberals, you know, <laughs> they won the culture war. And now they're the ones who are saying, we, we're going to write the rules. We're going to enforce what we think is okay and what isn't. And it's just the reverse. And so in a sense, I think it's not principled at all. Um, it's just repeating the same exact type of thing, but on the other side. So I don't think, for example, I, I mean, I've mentioned this to get on my soapbox on previous episodes. If you tried to advocate for, you know, racial equality, um, gay rights, trans rights, you try to talk about any of that stuff like 60 years ago, you're just going to get shouted down and you're not going to have a platform for it. Now it's very different. Now it's the other way. It's like if you're not talking about some of these things, you're a bad person. If you're even questioning vaccines, like you are an immoral, terrible human being. And I just think, you know, yeah, sure. You could get into the whole, oh, but free speech, uh, is it, you know, should it really be allowed when it's causing harm and, and all this stuff? You can go there. But I think the fundamental thing of just one guy and a microphone saying whatever stupid ideas come into his mind and suddenly the whole world is freaking out over it. I think it's a little funny in the first place because it's not like this guy came out. It's not like he's Noam Chomsky and he's like, oh, I'm a super well-learned individual. I'm so smart. Listen to me. He's like, I'm a moron. I'm going to talk about DMT, elk meat, and chimpanzees. And like, that's how he got famous (laughs) on this podcast. He got famous by being a moron, by being an everyman. 
And to me, I, I don't know, it is crazy that he's like front page news on the AP over this whole thing with Neil Young, which Neil Young hasn't been relevant in decades, okay? I To say like, I, the one thing that gets me is, and I'll turn it over to Pratik, um, the one thing that really gets me is when people say, oh man, Neil Young came out and then Spotify's stock price tanked. No, that that's not what happened. <laughs> it was tanking generally in a market correction. Neil Young had very yeah. little to do with their stock price getting eviscerated. But anyway, that's me. That's me getting uh, out the soapbox. I guess I agree with Tyler. Long-winded way of saying it. I want to also add another thing. So Rogan goes out of his way and says he is not mad at Neil Young, and he is a huge fan of the musician. I think some of these things when it comes to this kind of stuff is that COVID misinformation is also hyped up. Like, it would have been COVID misinformation to say, you know, five months ago that COVID came from a lab. Now we know it came from a lab. It would have been misinformation to say it came from China even. We all know it came from China. It would have been misinformation to say it came from Wuhan. We know it came from Wuhan. Um, other things that includes the misinformation stuff, like few months back, if you were saying that if you, even if you had COVID, if you had vac- if you got vaccinated, you might still get COVID, that was technically misinformation. But now they know that you can have COVID even if you're vaccinated. I mean, the effects of it will be a little bit, but it won't be as bad. But I mean, you could still you can have still have breakthrough cases. You're right. Yeah. yeah, and I think all of that stuff is misinformation. And the thing is that nowadays, I mean, all those things are accepted fact. But guess how many people got banned from Twitter and all these places because they were providing COVID misinformation? I think this is just a way that you can just ban people that you don't like. This is all this is. They don't like Joe Rogan, so they're gonna ban him, and they're gonna go ahead and ban anybody else that they don't like. They even banned a former president. They're not like gonna stop with joe rogan they're just gonna keep going i i completely agree because the reason you need freedom of speech in public discussion is because we're not always right all the time about everything so if you're going to eliminate views that aren't present time generally accepted you're eliminating a lot of potential truths and because of that people will get banned unnecessarily and those bans you have to understand they don't just get revoked when the truth comes out those bans just stay. It's a very silly process. That goes back to the net neutrality freedom of speech thing. But overall, I think we've made our point here. The one thing I did want to add is recently uh, there's been some other hit piece against Joe Rogan about saying the N-word. I'm not, I haven't read up too much about this specifically, but um, it just seems like they're completely going after him at the moment because he's so popular. And uh, Nick was making a good point. Like, he's just some random comedian, entertainment guy. The reason he's being attacked is because he has so many views. He has so many people listening to him. And people don't like the fact that this guy who's not part of some mainstream machine is able to put out his views and people are allowed to listen to them. And I do really feel strongly that it is likened to those Christian conservatives trying to censor everything and i think those people that are calling for bans should try to see that parallel within themselves and maybe understand that it's not necessarily the right decision but with that uh nick Uh, i was just gonna say if joe rogan came out and said like okay listeners you've been with me for a long time it's time to take action we must kill everyone who wears boot cut jeans and square toed shoes if he said that i'd be like oh that's inciting violence kick this man off the platform he's gone right but if you're not inciting violence, then yeah, I, look, there, there, it's very valid to have social outrage and to sort of, I guess, cancel someone online. I, I know we're sort of, you know, are we in favor of cancel culture? Are we not in favor of it? Sometimes we are, sometimes we aren't. I think it just depends on whether or not you like the person. If you don't like someone and they get canceled, you're like, oh, cool. Whoopi Goldberg, suspended. Great. <laughs> But if you like Whoopi Goldberg, you're like, oh, that's lame. Why did she you want to do the story with Whoopi Goldberg? We could do this. We could do this. But I also, I, I think you're generally true. But I truly try to take time to look at what you're saying and say, look, I have one principle. And even if I don't like the person, I understand that we shouldn't eliminate their existence because I disagree with well, them. That's so the I think thing. you're generally right. I think yeah. I'm okay with the suspension instead of a permanent you never get a voice ever again. Like what they did with Whoopi Goldberg, I think that would be the way to go about it. I don't think she should be terminated from her job forever for misconflating what happened during the Holocaust where she said that, for example, her and her co-hosts were talking, this is a daytime show, and Whoopi comes on and she's like, well, you know, the Holocaust, that wasn't about race. And someone else on the show was like, uh, it kind of was. And she's like, no, no, that was a, it was humans hating humans and it had nothing to do with race. This it is white people doing it to white people. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Pratik, Pratik, give us, give us the scoop on that. Um, 
Okay. Yeah, go ahead. So Whoopi Goldberg was suspended from ABC's The View talk show on Tuesday for asserting a day earlier that the Holocaust was not about race. The network's news division president said, addressing a fear over the comments. The 66-year-old Goldberg apologized for her remarks later on Monday during an appearance on The Late Show and again on the next broadcast of The View on Tuesday morning. Effective immediately, I am suspending Whoopi Goldberg for two weeks for the wrong and hurtful comments, Kim Godwin, president of ABC News, said in a statement. So basically what she said was, this is white people doing it to white people, so y'all are going to fight amongst yourselves. This is not an issue about race. And then, um, then this was like, you know, backtracked and they were like, Jewish groups and others were infuriated by Goldberg's assertions, which they said contradicted the fact that the Nazis killed some 6 million Jews during World War II based on an anti-Semitic ideology fermented by Adolf Hitler's, they were an inferior race. No, Whoopi Goldberg, the Holocaust was not about the Nazis' systematic annihilation of the Jewish people who they deemed to be an inferior race, Jonathan Greenblatt, chief executive of the Anti-Defamation League, said on Twitter in response of the comments. They dehumanized them and used this racist propaganda to justify slaughtering 6 million Jews. Holocaust distortion is dangerous, Greenblatt said. So the whole thing about this whole thing is what Nick was just saying is that she got suspended. Again, I wanted, we were trying to compare this to Joe Rogan. Joe Berg, Joe, they're trying to shut down Joe Rogan completely on Spotify. Here, they're just shutting her down for two weeks. But the whole thing about it is that they tried to make this whole logic about like, so, I mean, Bopi Goldberg was trying to say that, you know, discrimination is only when there's like a one race against another race. And she's saying that all Jewish people are basically white people. And this is white people doing it to other white people. And that's okay. I mean, they could fight amongst themselves. And he called Hitler not racist. And the whole ideology of that is like, obviously, like, I mean, Jewish people are a particular race. They are religion, but it, according to Hitler they're a part of a race and I mean it is racism so I mean there's nothing that we can really do to debate this it's stupid that Whoopi Goldberg said this but she's only suspended to two weeks for two weeks while on the opposite side they're trying to shut down Joe Rogan and thinking about how many people have been banned on Twitter for COVID misinformation in quotes yeah so just to take that off um I you, you there's a difference between canceling someone and calling them stupid and an idiot for their idiotic opinions. And that's what's happening here. Like, she just had a stupid opinion. She said it. And now we get to call her stupid for doing that. The view canceling for two weeks, I mean, that's whatever is what it is. Um, but she's not being canceled over the whole process. And, like, hopefully she can learn from it. And she doesn't have to be executed from the internet and all the media. She can, just, she can learn from her mistake. Because when we have a world where everything you say is documented, there's no real room to come back and kind of have uh, to say, look, I've learned from this situation. I've grown as a person and I've understood why I was wrong and I'm going to fix that. You know, it's, but in this case, yeah, oh, go, go ahead. Go I ahead. was going to say, you know, what's so weird is that we've come to this. It's like if you have a cultural or political take, that's not the take of the day. That's not accepted by the majority of people. That's it. Your whole life. They're like, oh, oh, you just have you're just useless from now on, like. I don't. I never want to hear from you again because you said this. We one have thing enough on this people on the planet. Why do we need to hear from you ever again? Meanwhile, the the party overall, and, and I guess the culture is moving towards. Hey, if someone messes up and they get thrown in jail for something, maybe we should be a little bit more lenient, and maybe we should stop the um, you know perpetual cycle of people being thrown in jail and the school to prison pipeline and all that stuff. They, they'll say like, oh, we should be more forgiving as a society. We should be more forgiving and we should have more of a heart, for example, when it comes to things like racial justice, homeless people, etc. These types of issues they're saying, we need to be more compassionate. Meanwhile, if you have the wrong take on Twitter, which who cares about Twitter? Twitter was always meant to be incendiary. You're limited to only a couple characters, okay? Someone is going to come off and say something stupid, stupid hurtful, hateful, the rest of it. And it's like, you're going to cancel them for their entire life over that? Give me a break. Well, speaking of cancel culture, um, let's talk about gerrymandering. So gerrymandering, redistricting, obviously weird transition, but this is a hot topic always. 
where we're always trying to redistrict states so that certain places have their majority party continue to win their states. And this has been a practice followed for many generations, Republican or Democrat, regardless of whatever state, this happens in every single state. And therefore, whenever it happens in a state like North Carolina, where I am from, it is one of the most polarizing topics of all time. Well, this has been a lawsuit that has currently been filed where North Carolina's new political district maps are considered un unconstitutional by the North Carolina Supreme Court. And this is when one of those things where, I mean, every single state gerrymanders, we've talked about this before, Virginia gerrymanders, New York gerrymanders, and New York gerrymanders to the point where New York, I mean, they're getting it to like all, only Democrats are going to be able to win New York because they've gerrymandered the crap out of that state. If you ever look at redistricting maps and the same situation with North Carolina, but the irony in North Carolina is we've had a Democrat governor for the last like this election and the previous election before that and Roy Cooper I mean he might not be the bluest of the blue but I mean he is a Democrat and under redistricting whenever a party is in power and the Republicans have been in power the House and the Senate in North Carolina well they always are going to gerrymander trying to get their own party to win but it fails more than half the time because they still have Democrats winning places so I think this is the thing where it's very hypocritical with North Carolina, when it's any Republican state, Texas, South Carolina, Georgia, they always bring this up. Oh, wow, it's so gerrymandered. Tennessee, they were saying that it was so gerrymandered and it was all racist because it's against black people. And it's like they always try to make this a racial thing. In the same way that, I mean, the Whoopi Goldberg situation, it was all about race. This situation, they try to make it about race, where it's like, okay, well, the party that is in power is going to try to make their own party win. What happens to be the case is that Democrats tend to have a lot more African Americans that are part of their party. So the side effect of that is that whenever they gerrymander so they can get Republicans to win in their state, because that's what gerrymandering does, the same way Democrats try to win everything in New York and California, which they traditionally have. Well, when they do the same thing, the Republic, when the Republicans do it, they pin it as racist because they're trying to prevent black people from voting. And they have no proof of this. This has been a hot, hotly, um, you know, um, what is it, contested topic. I remember I had an argument with my professor because she was trying to call North Carolina racist for gerrymandering. I'm like, my state isn't racist. Look at New York. And, you know, yeah, obviously we're like pro our states, regardless of whatever our state is. So I think that this is one of those that they try to hype up. So what are y'all's thoughts on gerrymandering? Nick, what is your thoughts? Do you think it's a racist situation? Well, in the past, it was probably used for it. I'm not read up on it fully, but I could easily see uh, a certain county or, or part of a state saying, hey, look, um, <laughs> like before and during Reconstruction or the Jim Crow era, I could easily see them doing this type yeah. of stuff and be like, no, we don't want this minority to be able to decide and vote for their preferred candidate. We want to shut them out of the process. I could easily see that happening. But after the passage of the Civil Rights Act, which outlawed all that stuff in 65, look, it, it's illegal now. You can't get away with it. And if you end up doing it, it's going to be challenged in court. And then that's... <laughs> I, I think the broader thing here... You could say, yes, it has a racist legacy, but to say that it still is actively day to day, it's not really about race. For example, Republicans would be very if if all of a sudden you wake up tomorrow and as a voting block, African-Americans switched and started voting for Republicans in droves. I guarantee Republicans would be, you know, stumbling over themselves, crawling, like running past each other, trying to get get into the uh, state house to go gerrymander their district to have more black people in it because they just care about the votes. That's what it comes down to. They're like, oh, who's going to vote for me? Let's get those people in our district. And that's why I think ultimately it does have to be done by a third party. Of course, then you can say, oh, well, who's going to be a third party? You're going to need a third party to supervise the third party to make sure that the third party isn't made up of partisans. And you're just going to get into this <laughs> recursive, you know, who watches the watchers type of thing. But ultimately, I mean, look, gerrymandering leaves a bad taste in everyone's mouths. You mentioned North Carolina and like, oh, you know, New York is even worse than that. North Carolina has some stuff. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Like you, you look at some of the districts, the lines. I mean, we all took a basic geometry class. None of these shapes are present in any of the geometry classes, even in college. OK, like some of these districts make no sense the way they look. You just can't understand them. So it's like that is clear gerrymandering. But, but whether that, it's dude, racist or not. Hold on. No. That's 
that's the solution. We need clearly defined shapes that each <laughs> district have to fall into, the mold, and therefore, if they're redistricting, at least it'll have to be within a shape, and it can't be drawn specifically to count out certain neighborhoods or minorities. And what the law is in terms of this is that this has also been a dumb law in our country. So originally, the um, gerrymandered stuff, originally all the districts that were drawn were based on particular populations. So each district was supposed to have an equal population as every other district, which is why some states like California have more districts. However, they ended up having so many houses, house representatives inside the house. So, and because each each district is represented by a house rep, so then they just decided to shut that down in 1915 because they were just like, we have like 435 house districts now, so we can't have any more because you know we just have too many people in the government. And that's why a lot of these places are very underrepresented in places like New York, actually, where even if they have so many districts, there's still places that they don't have enough representation for people because they got too many people and they don't have enough representatives while in some places like montana and such they don't have any people or alaska so like you know it doesn't matter so is this one of those things where it's a dumb law to begin with because they should have continued that on from 1915 if anyone wants to look into the historical accuracy of this feel free this is actually like a really it's like weird how like it might be better to have more people in the house than have less people because more people would be represented and actually follow the law as it was supposed to be but the electoral college makes zero sense for many of these reasons and redistricting is one of them and in north carolina they draw stupid shapes but in places like california they also draw stupid shapes in virginia they also draw stupid shapes tennessee same thing new york is so drawn badly that like they're literally trying to get like the two or three republicans from new york out so they can get democrats into their places so like it's one of those that every party does that to continue to stay in power and it's not really political it's not really even racist all it is is just the way that the party that's in power remains in power so in the, with that case let's move on to the next story short story um if that's fine with you guys do y'all have any yeah. final comments nope okay redistricting so bad gerrymandering bad <laughs> they should all stay yeah. static they should never be changed we should just have one district <laughs> nationwide and then however you vote, it's like, oh, you know, 60% of people voted for this, 40% <laughs> voted for this. And then let the party elites decide. They used to do it back in the day. Bring the, you know, we're so concerned, bring the power to the people. Put, put it back. Give it back to the aristocracy. I want Jeff Bezos picking my legislature, okay? <laughs> Give it all yeah. to him. He'll figure I, it out. I, there I will just, be some algorithm. I, I just don't feel I have much new to add besides what you and Pratik said. Uh, I mean, basically gerrymandering it's always going to be there whoever's interested in it is to get the right map is going to push it in that direction and their other side's going to be upset when they don't get the best voting districts for their own party that's always going to be the case and that's what we're seeing in north carolina right now but with that we'll move on to the next story which is the white house says it's no longer calling potential russian invasion of ukraine imminent uh we will have to say they're trying to gerrymander instead and then we'll launch a full-scale counter assault (laughs) yes um, uh, Pratik, you actually want to take the story? Yeah, so the White House says it will no longer describe a potential Russian invasion of Ukraine as imminent, suggesting the word sent an unintended message when officials used it last week. I used that once. I think others have used that once. And then we stopped using it because I think it sent a message that we were intending to we weren't intending to send, said Russian President Vladimir Putin. And he said that he has made a decision. Press Secretary Jen Psaki said during a briefing Wednesday, I would say the vast majority of times I've talked about it, we could he could invade at any time. She went on. That's true. We still don't know that he's made a decision. And basically, all this stuff that has happened about Ukraine and Russia, she's Jen Psaki, our press secretary. And I mean, with what based on what Putin is saying, is it might not happen and the Russians won't invade Ukraine. But the way Biden went off in that press conference is it was like, it's going to happen and it's going to be bad when it does, and we're going to sanction the hell out of it. Basically, is how, you know, it came across to the people. So, what are yeah, y'all's w- thoughts on this? Well, I, I wouldn't say that him saying, look, we're going to sanction the hell out of them if they do invade Ukraine is it was a bad thing. But the fact that he said they're about to imminently invade, it gave away too much information. And I think I forgot which of you alluded to that last time we had a conversation. Uh, but something that I thought was really interesting was so China and Russia opened the uh, 
day of a Winter Olympics declaring a no-limits partnership, backing each other uh, over standoffs on Ukraine and Taiwan, and promised to collaborate more against the West. And I I just thought this this tied in nicely to this story exactly, because while we don't know that they're going to be invading Ukraine, they certainly have suggested it, they certainly have been putting firepower on their borders, and this is a big issue for the U.S. Um, Biden backtracking on a statement makes sense because the Ukrainian president called him and was like, what the hell are you doing? It's not fair. People are going crazy and you're causing havoc. And I understand that. So I think it's good he retracted. But there still is a major threat here. Don't get any other way about it. Like, we still have to understand the situation's the exact same. The rhetoric we're using is slightly different, but that doesn't change the fact that a Ukraine invasion could still happen any day. Putin could decide tomorrow that he's going to do it. It's not like we could just simply trust their word on this issue. So while publicly we're coming out and retracting that, that doesn't mean we're not prepared for the fact that they might tomorrow, next week, a month, a year, invade Ukraine and the situation will become a hot, hot war. Nick, do you have any final thoughts on this? I've talked this topic to death in previous stuff. I hope that I'm not proven wrong (laughs) on this because that would be bad. My whole stance was, I don't think this is going to really happen. I think this is one of the worst things that Russia could get involved with. But eh, then again, they've been underestimated in the past. But I just think the Russian economy overall is doing so poorly that if they end up getting caught up in a land war in Ukraine, it's not going to go well for them. And they're just going to suffer as a result. And no matter what sense of, you know, reclaiming the former glories of the Soviet Union and what have you, no matter what sense of that, it's not the same level narrative as China has going on with it and its revival and its expansion or proposed expansion and what's going on. So I think overall, the United States, again, we're, we're kind of hoping that this stuff doesn't happen. If this was 20 years ago, I think we would have been like, bring it on. Let's do it today. We'll get involved. Um, But nowadays, I mean, look, things are settling down in the Middle East. Sure, you still have the crisis going on in Yemen, tons of people going hungry, thousands displaced still. You have what's going on in um, Ethiopia with, you know, tens of thousands displaced and the war that's going on over there. There's, again, like sort of the MENA region, which is Middle East, North Africa, etc., like what's going on in Syria, Russia is still involved over there. All that stuff, I think, is still going to be, you know, the number two sort of part of the world that the United States is focused on. Right now, number one in all of our minds and all the rhetoric and the legislation that the Republicans tried to pass last week, but didn't go through on China. All this stuff is aimed at Southeast Asia and South uh, sort of Eastern Asia as well. And so that's the main part of the world that the United States is starting to pivot to. Europe is not as important as it used to be 100 years ago. That's a fact. It's just not. And so it's like, number one, it's Asia. Number two, Middle East. Number three, Europe. And they're just that far down on the totem pole. And we'll see what comes of it. I don't think there's going to be a war. If there is, I mean, look, it's like, oh, man, I'm wrong. And then that's not good for anyone. But I I just don't think they're going to go in. Um, in the next week, unless something like really crazy happens. But I'm glad that the White House isn't calling it imminent anymore. And me and Nick disagree with this topic a little bit. And we've talked about that, too, where I think that something will happen more likely in Ukraine than something that will happen in Taiwan. But let's see what happens and we'll figure that out. And let's shift this topic to, I mean, Nick was alluding to the MENA regions, and that's the Middle East, North African regions. Well, in Syria, um, ISIS leader Abu Ibrahim al-Hashimi al-Kuryeshi was killed Wednesday during a U.S. counterterrorism raid in northwest Syria, President Joe Biden announced Thursday morning. It was the biggest U.S. raid in the country since the 2019 operation that killed ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, and Kuryeshi blew himself up as U.S. forces approached his combat. Biden administration's officials said, and the explosion resulted in multiple civilian casualties, though there was a discrepancy between the Biden administration and the Syrian civil defense group over how many, there were no U.S. casualties according to the Pentagon. So this might be one of Biden's biggest accomplishments so far into his presidency, where the basically the next ISIS leader after Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, who they killed during Trump's tenure, this is the second like biggest guy that they have in ISIS. So he was he killed himself in a suicide bomb, and it, no Americans were harmed in this attack. But 
basically now we got rid of the you know biggest terrorist leader in the world so what are y'all's thoughts on this do y'all think this is a major story do y'all think that this will help biden and his approval ratings what do y'all think in a way i think it signals that nothing has fundamentally changed with this president when it comes to the middle east it's similar to obama it's similar to trump in that we're targeting specific leaders with obama of course you know, we, we all know what happened there. And then, of course, he was called, you know, drone strike. Like he was associated with drone strikes and precision strikes. Um, and then for Trump, it was, of course, the Iranian general who ended up getting killed. Everyone had World War Three memes like a year ago. It really wasn't that long ago <laughs> that we were all talking about that stuff. And Iran is still calling for Trump's head. Um, and Biden is showing the same thing. It's pinpointing. Oh, look, there is one leader, the head of the snake. We're going to cut off the head. And hopefully the three that grow in its shadow aren't as big and scary. So we're doing the same thing we've been doing for a long time. And I, I think it just goes to show that nothing substantial has shifted in foreign policy in, uh, with this presidency. That's true. And I don't know if it helps him that much in the polls, but it doesn't hurt him either. There aren't that many people out there willing to say we're going to be pacifists and not bomb anyone in the Middle East or whatnot. So like both parties are basically on agreeing like we should take out these leaders, especially of ISIS. So I think it's news as usual. Maybe it's a slight advantage to Biden moving forward, the fact that he's able to accomplish something like this. But every administration gets is able to bomb and take out these leaders. So it's nothing new or super special. And I think with Biden, his foreign policy has been a weak point for the president. Like, I mean, in terms of aggression, too, like he's seen as a weak president on a lot of fronts and this is one of those where i mean the afghanistan stuff wasn't that long ago people still remember that how we completely butchered that situation there's even a news story that came out how like the biden presidency wasn't prepared for the whole afghanistan takeover and that's why the takeover happened and obviously we all knew this but the way they spend it and like how this stuff only lasted for two weeks is because the media loves joe biden well this has been one of those that like when this happened this was all over the news no one really wanted watches the news anymore because they're like the news sucks and they're too you know, busy watching joe rogan yeah and <laughs> this is the thing it's like the media shot themselves in the foot because they don't cover biden properly the same transparency level that they had with trump where if he did something sketchy or if he did something bad the news media was all over it like the same coverage level doesn't exist with biden biden can get away with anything and they won't really care and that's why he sucks in the his, his approval ratings like in the dead water like he's like the lowest president in terms of approval rating to this point so i don't know and speaking of that nick can you take us back to the previous president because he had a split with his vice president mike pence absolutely i would love to critique so mike pence yesterday says that trump is wrong so speaking at the federalist society on february 4th which was yesterday at disney's yacht and beach club resorts in florida pretty ritzy spot um mike pence a former Vice President Michael Pence is quoted as saying, quote, there are those in our party who believe that I possessed unilateral authority to reject electoral college votes. President Trump said I had the right to overturn the election. President Trump is wrong. And he went on to say, frankly, there is no idea more un-American than the notion that any one person could choose the American president. And he ended with, quote, Kamala will have no right to overturn the election when we beat them in 2024. End quote. <laughs> applause. The room went crazy. Not really crazy. I mean, this is the Federalist Society, okay? They're keeling over. They're ready to jump into their graves at any point. That's why it's in Florida. A bunch of old people. You got to be in the sun. You got to be where it's nice. It's the wintertime. You got to get the blood flowing. But in any case, enough of uh, making fun of the Federalist Society. Got to admire some of these uh, old school foundations and think tanks for uh, standing up for whatever it is they believe. Um, because they've been around for so long, good on them. But in any case, what do you guys think about this? Michael Pence saying that Trump was wrong about him being able to overturn the election. I, I've, yeah. yeah, you go first, Tyler. I was just going to say, like, there are a lot of things I don't like about Mike Pence, but he's been very sturdy and strong on this one thing of, like, he's not going to let Trump bully him into doing something like this. And I think that's a very strong message. I don't think it's reasonable to expect the vice president to, like, cancel the election. I The whole basis of the January 6th riots were on this fact, and I don't think that they were just in advocating for the idea that Mike Pence should shut down the Electoral College and what they vote for and, 
essentially decide the election. I think he's right. It's un-American, and it doesn't make sense. Great point, Tyler. That- Before I turn into critique, here's what Trump said in response. President Trump says, quote, Well, the vice president's position is not an automatic conveyor if obvious signs of voter fraud or irregularities exist. Trump can't be wrong. And then he starts going on. He starts talking about the rhinos, election counts, all this stuff. Pratik, in light of that new information from the president, does that change your opinion on this at all? No. I think that this is where Republicans need to learn how to be Democrats. Democrats spent four years trying to argue that their election was rigged and that Trump lost the election and Hillary Clinton won and the Russians rigged it for that for him and all this stuff. And I'm sure if Democrats won that election in 2020, didn't win that election in 2020 and Trump won, they would have been like, this election is rigged and it was rigged again by the Russians. And then this time you had the Chinese and the Iranians and the uh, uh, Cubans involved. So, you know, it, it was like more rigging that took place. But, you know, it was OK. It was 100 percent Democrat blah 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 because democrats won republicans need to learn how to play like democrats this is what i talked about last episode like i do think there is a trickle down in politics if you have a member if you have a few members of the party the same way as joe manchin and Kristen cinema and the democrats if they don't support what their agendas are then their party is gonna inherently lose this is a fact and probably more than likely, I mean, we're going to see this in the midterms. Obviously, Biden's economy and all this stuff is in the gutter anyway. But the only thing that is a cherry on top is that the Democrats are really good with their agendas. They get all their party people to get in line with whatever they want to do. And when they don't get in line with what they want to do, they get removed from the party. The Republicans don't have that. We're the biggest loser stock that we have. We have a bunch of old bozos like Mike Pence that are in our party. Pretty and the it. only reason why, and I obviously, I don't think Trump is going, I don't think Trump should run because I really don't want this old bozo called Joe Biden to run again and win again in the presidency. I'd rather the Democrats primary the hell out of him and then we have an actual election with regular people that are normal. And I don't think Joe Biden or Donald Trump are necessarily normal people. I think Donald Trump was a businessman that ran for president and won and was very intense with his rhetoric. And I don't think Joe Biden even knows that he's president. So I think that in this whole scenario, uh, Mike Pence is a loser. I don't know which Republican (laughs) would support Mike Pence if Mike Pence ran for president. I mean, the thing is, the Democrats hate Mike Pence anyway because they think he's like a conservative, socially Wait, is he a loser for going against Trump? Is that why he's a loser? I think he's a loser because he doesn't get he didn't get on board with his own party. And I think this is a fact is that regardless of however you feel about you always got to fall in line with you have to fall in line. Falling in line. No, but see, if you don't fall in line, everybody else loses. Like, if Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema don't fall in line with the Democratic Party, look at how many representatives and senators are going to lose because of Joe, uh, because Pence of Joe Manchin and Kristen Trump Sinema. Trump on almost everything he did. Doesn't matter. If you yeah, don't but back that, him... But that's falling no, but, in line. Like he, no, but Tyler, oh if you don't back the guy on the most important thing that he does, then what difference the most does ridiculous it make if you thing backed he did. him? It doesn't matter. Like, look, look yeah, Democrats Trump are trying to call the, race, the filibuster Trump, racist. Like, what Trump do you mean, called, dumb? Like, <laughs> Trump called the election fraud yeah. months before it occurred. Yeah. It was already predestined to be fraud. Why did we even have and, an election? It's going to be fraudulent. We had, we had so no matter countries. what happened, Trump was going to make that statement. And Pence, I think, made the correct decision. And we had four countries uh, deliberately and actively rigged that election. And oh they have factual evidence of this stuff. <laughs> um, obviously, this election took more than a week to call. And we've talked about that before. But regardless of any of that stuff. Mal resuscitated from the grave, personally flew to Alaska, and started (sighs) ripping up mail-in ballots left and right. (laughs) My my point is, though, that in the end of the day, if this was the Democrats, I would say the same exact thing. Regardless of whether I agree or disagree with Joe Biden, if Joe Biden was president and he was trying to say that the election was rigged and all this stuff, I'd make the same exact comments. Because in the end of the day, all of these people that are there are there to support and support the party and whatever causes that they fight. If somebody like Mitt Romney, Kristen Sinema, uh, Joe Manchin, Martha McSally, who are other people on my team, Mitt Romney, Richard Burr, Tom Tillis, you get the whole pack involved. In the end of the day, all these people are detriments to that party as a whole. It's an organization. Because with the Democrats, they're not going to win because of Joe Manchin. Because they're not going to get Build Back Better 
Mirror Pass. They're not going to be able to call the racist filibuster racist filibuster because they've claimed to be racist. But the Democrats know how to pull this stuff off. They pulled this stuff off for four years with limited evidence saying that the Russians rigged the well, election and we the had this episode. We had this episode okay. several <laughs> times, but... Can I, Pratique, I'm so sorry to get you off your soapbox. I would love to talk about this in a future episode, but I think we've hammered this home enough in previous episodes where people know where you stand on this. Go back and listen to those other episodes, okay? We've talked about the election a ton on this podcast. But the one thing I want to interject very briefly is that, uh, Tyler, Pratique, what Pratik is saying is what the RNC has done. You criticize Pratik all the time for, you know, telling people to get in line and having that sort of, you know, I guess authoritarian bend. I, I hate to say it um, because it sounds it seems like a dirty word over here. But um, the RNC on Friday voted formally to censure GOP reps Liz Cheney of Wyoming and Adam Kinzinger, Illinois, nice. over the criticism of former President Trump and participation in the Special House Committee investigation of the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol. This passes through the RNC, and they say, um, quote, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger crossed the line. They chose to join Nancy Pelosi and Democrat-led persecution of ordinary citizens who engaged in blah, 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 blah. And the one thing that's interesting is they, they kind of say in here that the resolution says, quote, the RNC shall immediately cease any and all support of both lawmakers as members of the Republican Party, end quote. Putting a stamp on this conversation. I thought we went through a lot of good topics today. I had fun. I know we, I know we've covered the election a lot, but that's such a crucial, important thing. I don't mind bringing some more attention back to it. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to episode 63 of Politicana. We have plenty of more topics to discuss coming to you every single week. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll catch you next, next week. See you later.